Okay, this is the story of a woman who um, was an amazing woman. And at the time, she wasn't really what we would describe um, a Christian. But um, I'm just going to read a little bit of her story when I found it. Yes, it's definitely in here. So if you go to Esther 4... So I'll give you a little bit of background. So um, this is a story of two queens and a crazy king. So it's a tale of two queens and a crazy king. So Esther is a Jewess. She is living in the area of Susa, which is um, in the well. It's in sort of um, it's currently known as uh, Iran and Iraq at the time, and uh, she was uh, an orphan, and she was living with her uncle Mordecai. And she was extremely beautiful and intelligent and gifted. But she was a young girl and a virgin. Are we okay, guys? Um, and God had placed her in a position of influence for a time that was to come. So, in, es- in Esther 4... Where are we? Let me get my notes out. That would help, wouldn't it? I'm so excited. I'm really sorry, girls. I've not done this for about three years. I'm normally more organised, but I'm not as organised, so I do apologise. Is that, is that funny? Right, okay, where are we? Would help if I switch me... Um, I just want one, one verse, and I've got it here, I think. Okay, um, so basically, there's, there's an edict that had been sent out throughout the land, and there was a death sentence placed on the Jews. And Esther was living in the palace, and she hadn't declared that she was a Jew. So there was an edict sent out, and it said that all the Jews in the land would be ex- exterminated, annihilated, and killed. And Mordecai, the, the uncle, went to her and said... You have been brought here for such a time as this. If you do not stand up for your people today and they perish, you will perish and your family will perish. But um, to give you some background to the story, so that's the context really within which I'm um, speaking from today. I would like you to read, I would like to read the whole book, but we haven't got time. So um, Esther was a refugee. So when we think about refugees today, it's really current, isn't it, in the, um, in the, in the media. And she was a refugee. She had been carried off, her family had been carried off to Babylon 103 years beforehand. And she was really a descendant of um, the Jews that had been carried off. And she lived um, in a, an area that was uh, amongst 127 provinces in the city of, um, in and around the city of Susa. So 170, 127 provinces, um, was, there was millions of people in those provinces, and they went from Kush to India. And um, that's where she lived before she was taken from obscurity and placed 
in a position of influence. Now, to give you some context, King Xerus was ruling at that time in um, Susa. And he was a, a wild man, not like the wild lady who does the, paraglide, uh, the, the parachute jumping, but he was a wild man in terms of being angry and boastful and arrogant. And he um, had planned to uh, invade Greece at the time. And um, in his planning at that time, to put it in some context, they had a banquet for six months. So this king had a banquet for six months, 180 days. 180 days, he displayed his wealth. He displayed his um, crown jewels, he displayed his armory, he displayed his people that he had subjugated. He displayed all his wealth and all his finery. And um, in order to do this, it was really a battle plan. It was really, really to lay out to the people that had come to the banquet, actually, that he could afford to invade Greece, that he could actually afford to do it and sustain that battle plan. And it really was, it was a showing off time. And sometimes we all do that, don't we? We display our splendor sometimes to show off. But actually, God requests us to display our splendor for the glory of his name, doesn't it? But this king didn't know God. He was somebody who didn't understand the God of the Old Testament. He was just a boastful, arrogant, spiteful, crazy king. And he had um, a harem of women. So to us, I suppose, in the West, that's um, a pretty nasty thought. I suppose the modern-day context of a harem is really a brothel. But the difference between a harem and a brothel is the harem, the girls were just for the king. Nobody else could touch them. The brothel, well, girls are trafficked, aren't they? But it was the very earliest, I think, roots of um, sex trafficking. Because what the king did, he had a beautiful queen called Queen Vashti. And she was um, beautiful in form and figure and intelligent and had held some influence. So after the king had had his 180 days of banquet, six months of planning and um, preparing with all his officials and his nobles and people of influence, because what he wanted to do was he wanted people to invest in him, invest in his strategy, his plan, so that when they went and invaded Greece, they could split up the spoils. And then... That could make the territory bigger, could have a bigger people group to keep captive and more wealth to, to invade really the world. A bit like the Romans were. So just to put it in a bit of context, they just absolutely went and tried to take um, captive everybody. And he had a queen who was actually a reigning queen. But in, the, in that context, like I say, the men and the women were separated in those days. The women were really only called upon to display their beauty. And after the 180 um, days of banquet, what the king then did, he had seven days of banquet displaying his wealth and his splendor for the people of Susa. So for the citizens of Susa. So there he was, um, in the midst of this banquet. He'd had lots to drink and lots to eat. And he was a little bit drunk. And he was boasting about Queen Vashti. He was boasting about her beauty and her um, her form. And he had, he had sent one of his messengers to bring her into their presence so he could display his um, ownership of her and how he had treated her and how uh, wonderful she was and what jewels she had and what crown she wore. And Queen Vashti at that stage had actually uh, acquired some influence in her world. She'd acquired um, some 
um, ability to make some decisions. She had acquired, um, you know, a team of her own. And often when we have our own uh, team and we are our own influences, we make our own decisions and we have our own authority. So whatever realm that you operate in, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in the nursery, whether it's in the community, whether it's in, you know, um, wherever it is in the home, you operate within your realm and you make decisions which is best for you and your people. Now, in terms of, um, in, in the first couple of chapters of Esther, which is where you can read about Queen Vashti, um, we don't know why, the theologians don't know why she refused to come to display her splendor or display the wealth that the king had dressed her in. We don't know why she refused to come. Some would say that she was actually expecting at the time and didn't feel that she could go and display herself in all, in all her loveliness. So really, she was just really somebody he could... Um, um, manipulate and um, sort of um, use to further his look, looking good basically and she didn't come and she refused to come and that was catastrophic for her because that was literally a death sentence because as you read through the chapters of the book um, because she refused to come the king was absolutely furious because he'd been said no to. Now, in that culture, in that context that was a definite no-no. Today, if my boss said to me and Sarah will know this at work, so I want you to do that, and I turned around and said no, then actually, I'm in trouble. You know, if, if Dave asked me to do something in the context of our home, and I said no, well, it, it's not so bad, really, anymore, is it? I don't know why you're laughing, Kate Kent, because of your, your cereal dish. <laughs> in this culture, if we say no to people, it, it, it doesn't have the same impact we have to understand that in that time period, and it was around about 487, 465 BC, before Christ, women and men were separated. Women were considered a chattel. They were owned by men. They were owned by men. They weren't, they weren't free, really. They weren't free. Um, but in that context, it was, a, it was a massive, massive thing that she'd refused to come. So, of course... What happened then? The king was absolutely furious. And to give you just a glimpse of what this king was like, um, he built a bridge um, over a lake or a, an area of, of water. There was a massive storm that came and destroyed the bridge. He was so angry that he ordered the sea have 300 lashes. He ordered the sea to have 300 lashes. On top of that, the bridge builders, he ordered to be beheaded. This is how crazy he was. Another instance was when he was um, planning these bat battles um, invasion and um, a noble official had come to him and said, uh, can you let one of my lads, one of my boys, can he not go to war? Well, anybody who's seen Private Ryan, Saving Private Ryan, which is a horrifically violent, horrible film, and they just want to save one son... So you can imagine the noble, the noble going to the king, it just, can you just let one of my sons off? Um, let me just backtrack a minute. So this noble had given him a big pot of money to actually support this um, battle. And uh, the king was so enraptured by him, he gave him a gift back. And then he thought, right, I'll approach him and said, can you let my son off? He was so enraged, the king, that he cut the son in half. One half over there and one half over there. And he got the whole army to march through. So this is the type of person that we're dealing with. And let's be honest, there are some horrific people in the world today that will traffic people just for their benefit. That will use people physically, sexually, mentally, emotionally 
to do that. We still have them around today. We still have people who will manipulate you or the people around you or people who are a bit weaker than us to actually further their kingdom, further their power base and further their money. It, it's, it's so evident today, isn't it? So we've still got that type of person. So that sounds horrific, doesn't it, when we bring it down to that's the type of king we're dealing with. And that's the type of king who Vashti refused to go and display her splendor to. She must have known that he could be enraged. And he was so enraged, he called upon the lawmen of the time. Because in that culture, in that time, women had, um, uh, women had no rights whatsoever very little rights. So what the king did, he, he, he communicated and he, he um, asked for the wisdom of the, the lawman. And the lawman issued an edict. And basically it said that she would be banished from the presence of the king forever. Banished forever. So if the theologians were right, if she was with child, then she would never ever be able to go into his presence again. And remember, we're talking about a culture where men lived in one sort of part of the palace and women lived in another so um, she was banished from uh, all the banquets all the celebrations all the types of life and um, social networking that she would have been used to she was banished he was so cross with her he was infuriated with her and of course then you've got um, his um, speakers around him his advisors his nobles all saying that in actual fact that what the scripture says is I'll read it to you um, because I have written it all down. Okay. Okay. Um, for the Queen's conduct, this is 117. For the Queen's conduct will become known to all the women, and so they will despise their husbands and say, King Xerxes commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, but she would not come. This very day, the Persian and Median women of nobility who have heard about the Queen's conduct will respond to all of the King's nobles in the same way. There will be no end to disrespect and discord. Uh, I mean, that hurts. That, I mean, that's pretty... That's pretty influential. And again, what you need to understand is, it's a bit like, you know, all the politicians in government making a law about, um, you know, political correctness or whether we're allowed to um, have, a, a, um, you know, the living will instituted, whether we're allowed to have same-sex marriages, whether we're allowed to have um, things like that. But this is really about your personhood. It's about your behaviour. I mean, trying to police your behaviour. And the influence of Queen... Vashti was such that actually they really believed that, that the nobles' wives and the women in the citadel of Susa and all the 127 provinces, don't forget, if she did something, then all the other women would follow and there would be chaos. So today, if you're an influencer, remember who's watching you. Remember your words. Remember if you're a leader today in the room, wherever you are, whether you're a leader or an influencer, you need to remember that people are watching you because whatever you do... They'll say, well, she's done it. She did it. She said it. So it must be all right for me to do it and for me to say it. And so, of course, she was banished from the kingdom. Now, what the nobles then did, they said, all right, let's let's have a search. Let's have a search and let's find a woman who is more beautiful and better, much better than Queen Vashti. And a search was sent out. And today, if you are an influencer and you believe you're called to leadership, my first point is this. 
that if you, um, you can be plucked from obscurity and placed into a position of um, influence. So if you're an influencer or a leader today or you're struggling with the fact that you feel called to something, God knows exactly where you are. Don't be frustrated with the timing. Don't be frustrated if you're at work and you're expecting your promotion. Don't be frustrated if you're in the community and you're expecting that funding to come through. Don't be frustrated about where you're positioned today. Because God can take you from that place of obscurity, that place of hiddenness, and put you right in the center of where he needs you to be. Because what happened was they went out and they found her. Probably in the furthest regions, it doesn't say where they found her, but the furthest region of where she was. A young virgin, probably about 15, probably beautiful. And they, they, they brought her to the king's harem. Now it wasn't just her, there were many others. So if, has anybody seen King, King Arthur, the film? Or Arthur, as it's called. It was the same with the warriors. If you were a subjugated people, the, the, the king could send a party, a posse of men, and you would have to give over your young boys. They would be trained for war. And it didn't matter whether you, you, you might never see them again. You used to have to give up their young men. They would be trained for war in the art of, um, you know, swords, spears, you know, fighting, combat fighting, everything. And they were sent out when the battle was called. They were sent out. It was the same for the girls. If the king wanted them, they had to go. So my granddaughter sat on the back row. She's 14 years old. She's absolutely beautiful. Now, we don't live in a society. She's just shrunk. We don't live in a society. She's going to do hashtag, hashtag. Um, we don't live in a society that actually, um, it's a private joke with me and my other daughter. Um, um, we don't live in a society where we worry for our children in that context. But we do live in a society where our, if our children go travelling, they could easily get stolen. It's horrific, isn't it? But this was a society that accepted this. So um, Esther, as she was known at the time, was plucked from obscurity and put into a position of influence. And you, you know, like I say, God, if you, if you read Psalms 139, he knows the hairs on your head. He knows where you are. He knows your comings and your going. He has designed you specifically for purpose. He designed Esther for a purpose. And she was called for such a time as this. So you have been called for such a time. Now, what she did was she was placed in that position of influence and she took her position. She took her position. So you can imagine a 14, 15-year-old girl was an orphan, didn't know where she was. It would be like taking me to Iran. It would be like, God forbid, one of the young girls being taken to a place or a culture in Iran where they were hidden away on her own with probably I don't know a couple of hundred maybe seven eight hundred other girls set in this building that was designed a bit like a factory you go in at the front and you're transformed as you're in the factory awaiting the call of the king and that could come at any time so if Dave says to me I want you to I get in the back door and I want you to do this 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 and this instantly because of the way God has made me <laughs> oh. Now, I have had occasion to talk with Kate about this and Amber as well. That I have just had this thing that's built within me that re, just rebels against anybody giving me any instruction. Now, I've come to understand that God has made me like this 
because of the strength he's sown in me. He strengthened the strength in there because, you know, I wasn't always like this. You know, I was, I was, if you ask my sister, I was meek and mild, naive, a pushover. Just, just, you know, people, she said to Sue, she said, when are you going to stop laying out the mat for people to trample all over you? Don't let them do it. God has sown strength into me in the process that I've been through. He's sown strength into me. But I'll tell you this, Esther didn't rebel. She understood her purpose and she understood her position. So she was positioned for purpose. She was positioned for purpose and in that purpose she understood what her calling was. So today, if you're not in the right position, then understand your purpose because your position will become clear as you understand your purpose. Yeah? So you need to understand what you're called to because the moment you understand what you're called to, then actually you're free to be in the position that you find yourself in. So when you go through a hard time and the challenge comes, it will make you stand and stand strong because you know your purpose. You know what you're made for. You understand what you're here for and your position will be strong. You won't be subjugated. You won't be disappointed. You won't be downtrodden. You won't be disconnected. You'll actually be standing strong and it won't matter what comes against you because you know your purpose. So she's plucked from obscurity. She's placed in the right position for the purpose that God needs her for. I don't think at that time she fully understood what was going on. I think she thought, as a virgin, she was entering that harem and that she was going to get ready to meet a king that she didn't know. She'd heard all these horrendous stories about he'd got rid of one queen and he kills people just at a whim. So you can imagine a young girl actually going into that situation but actually, she engages in the process. So your second point is she engages in, your proce- in the process. As we enter a process, are we willing to engage with it? That's the challenge I'm going to set, set out to you today. Now, it's all right me setting, uh, standing up here and saying to you, you should engage with the process. Normally, the process that God puts in front of us is very hard. I can choose some processes. Like, I like to go and have my hair done. That's a process. I like to go and have my brows done. That's a process. Well, yesterday with my very good friend Cherry. And I do have actually some leaflets here from Yasmin's. So Yasmin um, is not a Christian. She, she did our brows yesterday for us. And we were telling her about today. And we said, actually, it's biblical. Because um, to have your hair done and your brows done, to have your waxing, although I'm very fair and I don't wax very often, you know, but it's a process, isn't it? Let's be honest. Who doesn't like to be pampered? I love being pampered. I love being massaged. I love the treatments. Because I'm a girl. God has made me strong. He's made me fine. He's made me um, bold. But he's also made me beautiful. Now, it doesn't really matter what anybody else thinks of me. But God has made me beautiful. And if, he, if I like to go through the process of being dyed and plucked and waxed then so be it but let me tell you this as Esther entered the um, harem she entered a process of preparation and the bible says that she had six months of skincare, bath oils and six months of makeup and hair it's in the scriptures so if anybody says to you that's not biblical 
You need to come against it in the name of Jesus and you need to stamp it out. Because that's what she entered into. <laughs> isn't that right, Flo? That's right, isn't it? Now, some processes are not quite as nice as others. <laughs> it's true. It's in the word. We were Years ago, um, Dave and I, we visited um, my father-in-law's um, church, a Baptist church. Very nice, very big Baptist church. And it was Christmas Day. And um, we, I was sat in the middle of the row, and uh, the, on the Christmas Day, the, the church there, they got all the children up, because it's a children's day, isn't it, Christmas Day, with all the gifts and everything, and they were, they were lining up to come up, and the minister was, oh, what have you got? Oh, yeah, lovely, a helicopter, absolutely fantastic. Oh, a car, lovely. Oh, a, a bag, a shopping bag, lovely. A cooker, lovely. And this little girl came up, she got a bag of makeup. She was about seven. I've got a bag of makeup. I've got eyeshadow that sparkles. And this lady next to me, she said to me, fancy giving a child makeup. It's biblical. <laughs> I turned to Esther. Six months of oils and bath and six months of makeup. It's biblical. That child's more biblical than the helicopter <laughs> or the cooker. It's true, isn't it? So she enters, she enters the process. And during the process, she goes through this. So now we think that's absolutely fabulous because if you've got busy lives like we, we all have, haven't we? We've got busy, busy lives and we go and we get pampered. Whatever it is that we do, whatever it is that we, we like, we go to the gym, we go to this, we go to that, whatever it is that we go to, it's our time, isn't it? And this culture is all big on my time. I need, I need my downtime. I need my space. You know, I've said it today, we need my space. Get your face out of my face. Don't breathe on me. We were laughing about it last night. Don't breathe on me. This is my space. Um, but can you imagine for the young girl, she's, she's got 12 months of this treatment. And she engaged with the process. And what she did when she engaged with the process, she built her character. Because, you know, as leaders, we need to engage with the process and we need to build our character. As influencers, we need to build our character because actually our character is what will sustain us through the process. Yeah. So um, here she is and she's um, engaged with the process and such was her engagement with the process, such was her obedience, let's say, and her submission to whatever it was that was going around her. The king's eunuch who was in charge of the harem assigned her a team of seven people. Now, when I read that, I thought, okay, let's go into the realms of blue sky thinking. As influencers and leaders, we'll be assigned a team. What Esther did, she engaged with the team and she built her team. She used communication. She used strategy. She was a diplomat. And she just engaged with it. Now, I'd like to think her team, if it was me, and I get a, a position of influence anywhere, anybody, if you're listening... And you give me a team of seven. I think she had a dietitian, a personal chef, a personal trainer, a personal stylist, a personal dresser. Uh, that's five, isn't it? What else do I have in there? Yeah, a personal um, hairdresser. And, yeah, a makeup. And a companion. Now, the scripture doesn't tell us what the seven assigned to her did. But let's be honest, if you had a team of seven, what would you assign them to? Because you're engaging with the process and you've been blessed because God has seen your obedience in the process. So we're not responding with, I'm not going to do 
do that. I don't want my hair blonde, I want it brown. I don't want my hair brown, I want it red. I don't want my, I don't want to wear that dress, I want to wear this dress. But it's clear from the scriptures that she was an obedient woman, that she actually did what she was told. And sometimes when we're in the process, we need to do what God is asking us to do so that we can engage with it and God can bless us. Because if we're not engaging with it and we're not doing what God has called us to do because he's positioned us and he's he's put a purpose in our heart, then actually God is not going to be able to bring those people along because we're not going to be ready because our character is not going to be built to sustain it. She also not only engaged with um, developing her character, but she engaged with the community because it's clear that she was an influencer in her world. So as she engaged with the process and the people around her got bigger and bigger and bigger, it was clear that she, they understood her and she understood them. So she wasn't, um, uh, she wasn't uh, somebody who was a wild card. She actually she got on the programme, basically. So girls today, if you're in a community and you are working and operating with a team, however that looks, so we've got like Tashi does the, the kitchen, um, we've got Lizzie who does a food bank, we've got um, Cherry who's involved in the worship. You've got to get on the programme because actually at the end of it, God commands a blessing where there's unity. And if there's unity in the team, then he'll bless you. If you don't actually bring a, um, a, a standard of unity or peace in that team, then the scripture says that if there's no unity, you can't bring a blessing. So she engaged in the process and she understood the community that she was in and she got on with it. And um, I'm just coming to an end now because it's ten past eleven and um, we're we're coming to a a bit of end of time. But this is the thing. So there was four years between Queen Vashti being banished to Queen Esther being called by the king. Four years. Because the scripture doesn't allow us that. It just reads like a follow-on story. Four years it took in that process for her to be prepared uh, beautifully for the king. So your timing in your place of influence or your workplace or wherever it is that you are could be longer than what you think. It could be shorter. But just making a point here, there's four years. So the king calls for her. And what does she do? She just doesn't think, well, I'll do this, that and the other. She goes to the king's unit and she says to him, what would the king like? You know, in your process, when God speaks to you, go to King Jesus. What do you want me to do? What do you want? How do you want me to behave with this? Because if you're in Christ today, you've got access to Jesus. Because we've got an open door because of what he did for us on the cross. Because he has made that way for us. So today, if you're in the process and you are called and God gives you an opportunity, then you need to understand what it is you need to take with you. And it's always good to get some understanding, some wisdom from God, isn't it? Because actually, man's wisdom is ridiculous, as we can see from King Xerxes. His wisdom, his nobles, and his wise men, that's ridiculous. If you want some um, engaging, transforming, life-altering, eternal wisdom today, you go to King Jesus, and he will give it to you. The scripture says, anyone who lacks wisdom should ask for it and I will give it to you she goes to a eunuch a human person and says what would this king want so she didn't think she'd made it as leaders often we need to be careful because we think we've got it all bagged up we think we've got it all rocking we think we've got it all in there but God wants to speak some eternal truths into you he wants to give you some wisdom and some nuggets so that you can pull it out when the time's right 
He wants you to be a will changer. He doesn't want you to be a history um, keeper. He wants you to be a history maker. Okay? He doesn't want you to be a history keeper. We can all keep history. We can all keep doing, you know, repeat, 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 get up, work, repeat, repeat, repeat. We can all do that, and we all do. But when God calls you to a position and a purpose, and he plucks you from obscurity, and he places you right in the center stage, then you need his wisdom, you need his eternal truths, so that when the time comes, actually you can speak some life into that situation. So she's called before the king, and she goes with the advice of, I suppose it's a mentor, so leaders, influencers, if you've not got a mentor today, get one. Because when you're struggling with something, when you're struggling with your circumstance or your environment, you need to go to somebody you can trust and you can speak to and you can share your struggles with. So that it's actually contained, it doesn't influence or it doesn't infect your people or your community. It doesn't infect them. Go to somebody you can trust. She went to him who she could trust she shared whatever it was her concerns her worries she received some wisdom she goes back into the situation booted up suited up ready to go i have mentors i have people i can go to that will, that they they hold my my um heart they hold my trust and they speak into my lives so you need to make yourself accountable which is what she did so the king loved her he thought she was beautiful and he elevated her to a position of influence. And um, he, he, long story short, he crowned her as the next queen. Now, he must have took her out of at least a thousand women and they just waited for the king's call. Such was her form and her loveliness and her obedience and her character that he crowned her the next king. In the midst of all of this, there was other plots going on in the community. As leaders, we need to be aware of plots in the community. <laughs> We need to be aware of it. And I I can't go into the plots because I'm struggling with time. I can't go into the plots. But you need to be aware that there are other things in the community that will come against you. Because as you have your door of opportunity, the challenge will come. She had her door of opportunity and she um, she did well. And the king called her and crowned her. But during that time, there was other plots going on which actually made her have to go to the king without being called. You could not go to the king unless you were called. With King Jesus, you can go any time you like. Nothing to pay, nothing to do. It's all been bought and paid for. You can go to him any time you like. But in this environment, in this culture, she couldn't go. She literally took her life in her own hands and she went to the king. Because he was about, well, he had actually um, issued an edict to annihilate the, the Jews. Now, with the lawmen, you could actually, you couldn't repel it, you couldn't um, take it off the table. What they had to do is issue a new edict that actually neutralised the old one. So this was serious business because we all understand, whether you believe it or not, and you know that there are there is um, racial and ethnic. Um, cleansing these days. That's the, a, a nice way of putting it. People groups who are not quite as um, considered worthy or of value. So we've seen it in the world wars. We've seen it recently in um, Romania, Albania, all of those areas. We've seen it in the Sudan. We've seen it in the African continents now where if you're not a certain people group or you're not a certain religion, they're killing people. 
the killing. So this edict had been issued about the Jews. And Mordecai, Esther's uncle, had said, this is what's happening. So she asked them to pray for her. So as leaders, when the challenge comes in, when you have the door of opportunity and the challenge is right there behind you, you need to be aware that actually you've got an army not just of people, but the army of heaven behind you. So you call on your people and say, pray for me. I need your help. We're working in community here. And she went and approached the king. And fortunately for her, he extended the scepter. And he allowed her to come in. And she said, this is what's happening. And God has a way, actually, of transforming a circumstance and an environment that actually is miraculous. So on the face of it, you think it's hopeless. It's a hopeless situation. She thought it was a hopeless situation because she said, I will go to the king. If I perish, I perish. And if you went to the king without him calling for you, you were under a sentence of death. So this is serious stuff. It's not just a story. This year, I was quite poorly. And um, I have a busy life, and I love my life. I'm not complaining. I absolutely love it. I love, I love working in the workplace. It's hard. It's hard in a corporate environment. Love it. I love the church life. I love my, my family. I'm just busy, 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 busy. And um, I'd been on holiday, and I got back, and I was quite poorly. And we got back on the Sunday night, and um, the Monday was a day off. I was supposed to be playing golf with Dave, and then the Tuesday we were going to AOT conference. I was really poorly, and I'd, I'd been to the gym, and I couldn't remember leaving the gym. I couldn't remember being at home. I couldn't remember how I got home. Um, I said to Dave, look, you go, you go and play golf. I'll sleep. I slept for five hours. And the next day, I went to conference, and I saw Kate and a few of the girls. Um, and uh, I said, to, I think I said to Kate, actually, I've, I've had a headache for a couple of days. And Becky, Becky's husband, Steve, he gave me some mag relief, and... And, you know, I was a bit fuzzy at the conference, but it was a great conference. God really spoke to me. It was absolutely amazing, you know, growing in the gap. Remember, I remember John Andrews' message, absolutely incredible. And um, so I wasn't very well and didn't really engage socially with people because I just was going back to my room to sleep. following week, I went back to work, and I was still ill. I rang the doctor, went to the doctor, and the doctor said, I think you've had a stroke. I mean, it's incredible, the words spoken over us, how actually it makes us feel. And he said to me, have you driven? Yes, I've driven. Right, you can't drive. Uh, you can't go to work. You can't go to the gym. You can't do this, that, and the other, and blah, blah, blah. And he was pronouncing all these things over me. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. Oh my. And he rang the hospital there and then. He got me an appointment at the hospital. Um, and I just, I just was like, I, I ain't got time to be ill. What, you know, what, what is this? And I was like, oh, my goodness. And I, So he... he done the appointment, he said, right, you can't do this, that and the other, blah, blah, blah. I came out of the surgery, I rang Dave, and he's like, where are you? I said, I'm walking down the road. I'll come and get No, no, I'm fine, I'm, I'm walking to the church. But as the those words that were spoken, as they started to settle in my head, I started to move back from responsibility, from um, the things that God had called me to, from the things that I was engaged in. I got signed off work, I was off work for like nearly three weeks. And, um, you know... Let me put this in context. If it had been a stroke, which it may well have been, because I'd had prayer from being ill at conference to being at the doctor's, and I think God did something miraculous. I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember driving home. I couldn't remember getting home. And that's what they were worried about, because I'm thinking Alzheimer's. I'm not thinking a stroke. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm going mad, finally. You know, somebody's... somebody's I'm, I'm, in being, I'm saying that lightly, so I'm not taking away from the... That's a very serious... Um, illness isn't it but 
that's what I was thinking. I was thinking, oh my goodness. You know, all those times Dave, t- Dave said he's told me something. He really has. And I've not, I've not remembered. You know, all of those. But, but actually it makes you recalibrate your life. And, um, so what I did was, you know, well-meaning family, you know, my daughter who loves me dearly, mum, you do too much, you do too much, you do. absolutely take that, but my fam, you know, my mum and dad are told, right, you've been doing this for years, we've told you, we've told you, told you, and I just, on all of this craziness, I just felt God say, I want you to do more, I want you to lean into me, I want you to do more, and I'm like, I thought I was going crazy because actually there's a, there's a voice of the world isn't there the, the voice of the experts and there's the voice of the loved ones absolutely right good and proper but actually when God's voice comes he says I want you to do more so my opportunity is presenting itself and the challenge comes in I'm going to kill you not you I'm, I'm, I'm going to do you know what I mean it's the voice of the enemy I'm going to I'll stop you I'll tell you you've had a stroke I'll stop you I'll stop you I'll stop you I'll stop you now the challenge today girls is when the, when, the, when the opportunity comes when the door of opportunity comes death will sneak in with it it will try and kill everything that God has done in you it's positioned you for purpose it's plucked you from obscurity we've seen it in the scriptures and Esther is an example of actually a risk taker because God said to me and years ago Kate at the conference stuck something in my pocket and said God said to me you choose today life or death you can choose I will let you choose Jesus will let you choose your choice is yours so what he meant by that was he's not killing me but spiritually I would have died if I had taken that choice choose life and we live spiritually we live spiritually so today you know if the challenge comes if you've had a, a, a date, an opportunity, if a, a door of great opportunity is open to you, I'm telling you now, the challenge will come. And it will come from a place where you'll never even think of it. And the challenge to Esther was, she may have been killed. She may have had that death sentence. The challenge to me was, am I going to sit, because for a week, I'll tell you, I milked it. <laughs> oh, did I milk it. I was off work. I watched all my favourite movies. I got my favourite food. I got my fluffy blanket. And then I just felt God says, this is ridiculous. What are you doing? I'm in my house and... Who's that? Who's that? I'm speaking to me. Just leave me alone. Leave me alone. No, I'm so ill. And I'm not... Like I said, I'm not distracting from people who are really ill. But actually, God was calling me out into a spacious place. He was calling to me. He's like, what are you doing? What are you doing here? So, so I got myself up. I got myself dressed. I put my gloss on. I started going out for lunch with my friends. I started just visiting people. I just got in the community. And I felt so much better. And I was saying, Lord, this is, you're calling me to this. You're calling me to this. You're calling me to this. So when the, when the door of opportunity comes, just watch out for that, for that death statement. Watch out for that person or that circumstance or those situations that will try and kill it because God is calling you into something amazing absolutely amazing so she went and she saved the people the Jewish people and actually the king extended scepter and he he brought her in and she brought life to that whole community that people group and to herself she was a great influencer today if you're an influencer remember people are watching you remember take that opportunity be a risk taker as leaders we have to be risk takers because if we don't do it who's going to do it amen amen